0: Hello, church family. Please be seated for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at his voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then... I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Dear God, thank you for allowing us into your presence today. Please bless the message that Pastor Jim has for us. And God, Let these words be true for us. In your precious name, amen.
1: Amen. We're going to be in Isaiah 6, if you want to turn there. Uh, Before we get to that, I've uh, committed for the season between Mother's Day and Father's Day to focus on the family. And uh, my scripture for this morning for uh, married couples is not a marriage verse. Once again, it's just a how-to-follow-Jesus verse. But if we're going to follow Jesus, the place it should be followed, he should be lived out and shown up more than anywhere else. You've heard me say again and again, it's at home. It's in your marriage. It's in your relationships with your brothers, your sisters. Because let's be honest, it's pretty easy to be spiritual on Sunday morning. It's pretty hard to be spiritual with people that we live, that we sin against and they sin against us. And the Bible says this, that we're to do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. Selfishness destroys relationships. We are so selfish. I am selfish. You are selfish. Your spouse is selfish, and your spouse married somebody's spelsif. Your spouse married a shellfish. I don't know what that is. (laughs) I mean, it's easy to be spiritual when no one else wants the remote control, you know, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Let each of you esteem others as more important than yourselves. You know, it's so funny. I think today in the, in the world, it, it, we, we have what we want. And we almost make deals with spouses. Well, I'll buy this, and you can buy that. And that's our arrangement. Or I'll, I'll do this, and you can do that. And I, one of the areas, this, this is kind of funny, but I just thought of this when I said remote control, is that I like sports. My wife likes sports. Chick shows. I like action shows. Yeah. My life likes British shows. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is I just see a lot of people say, well, you go in your room and watch your show, and I'll go in my room and watch my show. And that's not very conducive towards building a marriage. You know what we've discovered is that over time by the grace of God I would actually rather watch something that I would not rather watch so that I can watch it with her does that make sense and she too my wife watched sports with me we went yesterday to a restaurant and watched the UEFA Champions League final and she's like okay what's this again you know and I've watched the chick show now and then but here's what she likes british shows I like action shows we found a place in the middle they're called british murder uh, murder murder mysteries you know crime salt. yeah Yeah, but we have to put the, like, subtitles on there so you can understand what they're saying. Even though they speak English, it's a missing person. What's a person, you know? Um, Anyway, uh, so I just want to encourage you to think about your actions, serving one another as a spouse, putting her needs before mine, putting his feelings before mine, uh, that we would live this out first and foremost in the family. Well, Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to talk today about Isaiah's, uh, that passage that Matt read a moment ago, a breathtaking encounter with God that Isaiah had as he saw God on his throne and saw angels. and, And it was more than just a glimpse of heaven because he interacted with it. God spoke to him, coals off the altar, coming and touching his lips. Years ago, about 12 years ago, I had one of those Uh, what I call once-in-a-lifetime encounters with God. It was an experience that I don't expect I'll ever uh, repeat or anything like that. I would even call it a life-changing encounter. At least I think it was meant to be. I would say that I perhaps did not steward the encounter or the experience as well as I could have. For those of you who have been fortunate enough by the grace of God to have some encounter or experience with God... um, Saul had an encounter with God in First Kings 19 where he laid down naked all day and prophesied and the spirit came upon him. And then it didn't change his life. He got up the next day and still tried to kill David. So uh, these things, you know, we, we have to recognize uh, that just having an encounter doesn't mean anything, may not mean anything. May 14, 2011, I can remember the date. My particular encounter lasted about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know. The effect of it lasted much longer. If I could choose to live one day of my life over and over again, like Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, you know, I would choose that day. It was that profound in my life. And although I've shared it with several people close to me, my family, I've tried to, I generally don't like to speak of it. I don't even know that I've ever spoken of it in a group setting like this, uh, maybe once. But for several reasons why I don't like to talk about it. First of all, it was very it was very intimate for me. Uh, there were two other people there, but the reality is this was me and the Lord. And so it was personal. It's hard to talk about that. Secondly, it's really hard to put into words this experience that I had with God uh, because there are just no words to describe what happened that particular day. And thirdly, perhaps the most important is that whenever I share it, even people in my own family kind of begin to make this face like, wow, I've never had anything like that happen before. I'm not sure I see that in the Bible. Are you sure that really Happened? I mean, maybe somebody put some cannabis in your coffee or something. I don't know. You know, I, uh, Baptist pastors aren't supposed to experience things like that. You know, I, I'm serious. When I came back to my church about a week or two later, I was afraid to say anything because I thought I would lose my job. Um, but we look in the Bible, and here's the thing. God encounters people all throughout Scripture, And he speaks to them, and he moves in their midst, and he appears to them. And he does it in different ways all the time. Solomon, he appeared in a dream. Jacob, he appeared as a wrestler. Moses, burning bush. Saul of Tarsus, bright light, knock him off his horse. Joshua, a warrior. Balaam, God talked to a donkey. See, it's not the method. He, 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 he encountered so many people in so many different ways, but when it comes to being caught up into the throne room of God, wherever that is, the very presence of God's glory there's only three people that I can think of in the Bible, and I could be wrong, you can correct me on this. First of all, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel was given uh, you know, the Ancient of Days, the Vesture like white wool and the Son of Man coming up to them. Daniel saw that vision. And then there's uh, the Apostle John in Revelation who was caught up and was, saw the throne and the Jasper and the Rainbow and the 24 elders and the four living creatures. By the way, those four living creatures seem a lot Like the seraphim. I don't know that they are. But there are four living creatures surrounding the throne. First had the face of a lion. The second the face of an ox. The third the face of a man. The fourth the face of an eagle. And they had six wings, just like we read about here. And they do not cease to say, day or night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come over and over again. Kind of sounds like some of those praise choruses we used to sing. You remember them? I, I just got to tell this joke, but I heard this story. Some of you know this. An old farmer went to the city one weekend, and and, uh, and he happened to come back from the weekend. His wife said, how was he? He said, "It went to church, and they they, 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 they they sang songs differently, their praise chorus. She says, well, what's a praise chorus? It's says, like a hymn. But it's different than a hymn. She said, "Well, what's the difference?" He says, "Well, if, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, that would be a hymn. But if I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the black cows, the white cows, the brown cows, the big cows, the cows, the cows, the cows, the cows are in the corner, in the corner, in the corner, corn, that would be a praise course." And I I share this for a reason. I know I'm digressing here. But sometimes, and, and we've never had it happen here that I know of, but, you know, if you don't like certain types of music or songs in church, that's okay. I'll be honest with you, I don't like songs that repeat over and over again, like, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. And now we're, like, after eight times, I'm, I'm good, you know. I'm sure I can sing of God's love forever, but maybe not <laughs> in church. Um, I don't pick the songs here, but worship leaders pay attention. Don't pick that song. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's the thing I just want to say is I've heard many Christians over my years as a pastor take scripture out of context to justify their own personal style of music. Well, you shouldn't have praise courses because the Bible says do not use meaningless repetition. I don't like repetitive songs either, but do you know that right now, while I'm speaking to you in the presence of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over again, and it doesn't seem to bother the Lord. So, okay, I digress. I need to get back here. Um, Daniel, by the way, Daniel and John are, these two books from Daniel Revelation are, are the only two apocalyptic books? Uh, well, not the only two, but the major apocalyptic writings. So it would make sense. Apocalyptic end times, it's it's the unveiling of uh, heaven in the future. And so it makes sense that Daniel and John would be given this vision, but Isaiah here, Isaiah chapter six, as far as I know, the only person that was given. This type of vision or encounter or glimpse into heaven. And he only writes eight verses about it. And I wish he would have said more. But I want to talk about this this morning. Because there's something profound in what he sees that I want us to see. And how he responds that we need to respond this morning. I have a very simple outline this morning. You can follow along on your notes. But most importantly, what we need to see is that Isaiah saw God. He saw God. God, You say, well, no one can see God and live. Well, uh, he didn't see God like in his full glory fall down dead God, but he saw God. He says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. I encountered God. And I want to begin this morning by just asking you to think about when you have seen God. Again, not with your own eyeballs, God face to face. That can't happen. But he says right here in verse Three, the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. That means God is everywhere. If your eyes are open and you're looking for God, you will see him. You can see him in creation. You can see him in the majesty and the beauty of what he has made. You can see him in the stars in the universe. You can see him in the in the things that are good in this world. You can see him in in human relationships that show love and faithfulness and sacrifice. You can see God even in suffering where he shows up and redeems and works through those things. We can see God in the miracles and transformation that happens in people's lives. And God is everywhere. And perhaps if you haven't seen God anywhere, it's because you're looking on TikTok or something like that. I'm not so sure God's on TikTok. He might be. He's probably not on the news app either, but he happens in the news. You understand what I'm saying, that God is there and we need to open our eyes and be looking and seeing where God is at. And and notice he says in verse one, it was the year of King Uzziah's death that I saw the Lord. I think that's significant because Isaiah prophesied during four different kings. This was the first one. And Uzziah was a good king and he died. So I think it's logical to maybe assume that Isaiah was grieving the loss of Isaiah the king. It was a time of sadness. It was a time of grief. And it's interesting, even this week I had a conversation with someone who just reminded me that so many times when we have those types of encounters with God that really change our lives or those experiences, it's usually when we're not at the top of the mountain but when we're at the bottom. When Everyone, everything is stripped away, and we're in the darkest place and the lowest place, and we have nowhere to turn to, and we're experiencing pain or sorrow or isolation or hopelessness, and we cry out to God, and God shows up in those moments. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you happen to be going through one of those difficult seasons in your life, that there's an opportunity, if you open your eyes, to look and to see where God is with the eyes of faith, you can experience him in a new and profound way. A few words. What does Isaiah? And this is we could spend all eternity talking, trying to describe the God of the universe. But here's what he says. He says, "Uzziah is dead, but I saw the Lord." So, first thing I want you to know is about God is God's alive. God is alive from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. That God was alive forever when. He created the universe when the universe exploded into existence. He was alive forever when Pharaoh built uh, pyramids and when Napoleon and and uh, you know the Romans and and uh, George Washington, the Delaware. I'm going back in time here. I don't know Christopher Columbus, 1492. He was alive forever when you were born. He's alive forever today and a hundred years from now when you're gone, he will still be alive forever. He is an eternal being who is, has no beginning or no ending. And he says, I saw the Lord. He was alive. He was sitting on a throne. He was the, he's the supreme king. He's the power. He's high and exalted. He's above all other thrones. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord. God is sovereign, and he's in complete control of this world today. And he's in complete control of your life. Now, you can choose not to believe that. But he is in control. You don't have control. You can't control your next breath. God is sovereign. And when you stand before him, there's no other appeal court. He is the Supreme Court. Right? And he says the train of his robe filled the temple. He's just... I don't know that I just get this idea, this huge temple in heaven, and God's train is glorious. Lexi's gonna get married. You got a big train coming out your wedding dress? No? Okay. But I've seen trains on wedding dresses that just, you know, go all over the place. And God's train, his temple, is just glorious and majestic and awesome and beauty and all these things. And then we see this glimpse of these seraphim, whatever they are, and this is the only place in the Bible we see the seraphim. Uh, cherubim are mentioned many other times but only here in Isaiah 6 unless revelation 4 the same four living creatures I don't know but they have six wings and notice what they're doing they're worshiping God constantly they're revering him and and these are not these are powerful beings whatever these seraphim are these angels that when one of them calls out to the other the Foundations of the temple in heaven shake. Right? And they're covering their face. And these are sinless beings who have not fallen, but they can't look upon God. And they're covering their feet. I don't know why. One commentary said maybe they're ashamed of their feet even though they're sinless but in the presence of God they're worshiping him, they're revering him he is high, he is supreme, he is eternal and then they cry out holy, holy, holy and it's difficult to try to truly understand what that word holy means. By the way Holy, holy, holy. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Spirit is holy. And holy, we know, means set apart. We talk about that. But even beyond that, it's just basically saying there's nobody like God. There's nothing to compare to God. There is no rival. There's no equal. He stands alone and above, transcendent, above all of his creation. There's no other being in the universe who is self-sufficient, Everything else in this world depends upon God for creation and existence and survival. There's no other being in the world that is both a community and an individual at the same time. There's no other being in the world who has all power, all knowing, beyond space, beyond time, no beginning, no end. God is separate from everything he has made. He is beyond our comprehension in Godness. And Isaiah gets this glimpse into, seven, in, into heaven, and he sees God, just a glimpse in, in the manner in which God chooses to reveal himself. And, of course, God is so much more. God is love. God is Father. God is compassion. God is judge. God is all these things. But right here, this, these words, and, this is, and, and he sees God on God's terms. Sometimes we want to imagine, how well, I think God is this, and I think God. It really doesn't matter what we think. It matters who he is. And we need to see God for who He is. And by the way, this is where you go to see God for who He is because this is God's revelation of Himself. Some of this reading in the Old Testament is challenging, I'll be honest. A lot of judgment, a lot of things, but that's part of God's nature and character. And we can't just pick and choose the parts of God that make us feel comfortable. Have you ever seen the... uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the king, and somebody says, is he he safe? Is it Prince Caspian that says that? Is he safe? He says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. That's God. He's not safe. And Isaiah sees him, and he is changed, because you cannot see God without also seeing yourself. And that's the next thing that Isaiah sees is, is in the, when he's standing there in the presence of God and he sees God, how God reveals himself. And this, by the way, is a prophet, a righteous Hebrew prophet who was probably lived more holy and righteous than any person around him, he sees himself, again, not as he would like to see himself on his social media profile, not seeing himself compared to the other terrible, sinful people in the nation of Israel. He sees himself in light of who God is. He says that in verse 5. He says, I'm undone because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When I look at him and I look at myself, his reaction is, I am ruined. I'm undone. I'm sinful. I'm hopeless. I am so unclean. I have unclean lips, which speaks of the heart because the mouth speaks of that which fills the heart. I have unclean thoughts. I have unclean eyes. I live among a people who are unclean, unclean, unclean. I'm so sinful. You see, that is the issue. He sees himself as totally sinful. That is our greatest need. You're here this morning. That is your greatest need. There's a story where Jesus was in a house and they took a paralytic and lowered him on the mat so that Jesus would heal him and make him walk. And Jesus looked at him and the first thing Jesus said to him was what? Your sins are forgiven. Uh, Excuse me, Jesus, I came here to heal my legs. You know, that's my biggest problem right now. I haven't walked. No, that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't that you need money. Your biggest problem isn't that you need to find a spouse. Your biggest problem isn't the spouse you're married to. Your biggest problem is your sin. And Isaiah comes face to face with the living God, and he realizes, I am in trouble. I'm completely sinful. And what does God do? I love this. One of the seraphim One of these incredible angels with six wings who speaks and everything shakes comes and takes a burning coal with tongs from the altar. There's an altar in heaven. Hebrews says there's an altar in heaven. Revelation says there's an altar in heaven. Moses was told to make a tabernacle as a pattern of the one in the heavenlies. The altar, the laver, uh, all those things. Somehow it's a picture of what's in heaven. And that bronze altar on the earthly tabernacle was the place where the lambs and the oxen and the offerings were offered over and over and over again. But they all point to the one Lamb of God, Jesus, God's Son, the only righteous one, who lived the only righteous life. There's only one good man who died on a cross for the sins of the world, rose again from the dead. See, what happens is the angel takes coals, can I say, from the cross, because that's what the altar is. And he, and he touches Isaiah and it says, boom, just like that. Your sin is taken away. Your iniquity is forgiven. See, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. I'm an unclean person living among unclean people. But God alone can take away your sin just like that. Just like that. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, this is the message of the gospel. Yes, there's bad news. We're totally sinful, but don't miss this. He also sees himself completely forgiven. Completely forgiven. Why? Because God touched his lips to an angel and said, that's it. Your sin is gone. Your iniquity is gone. It's done. You're forgiven. You're not unclean anymore. Yes, there's nothing good that dwells in our flesh, but in Christ, you and I have been made righteous. There's no condemnation for your sin because Christ paid the price for it. And God alone can take care of your sin problem. And the moment you trust Christ, you call upon him, believing in him, putting your faith in him for who he is and what he did, at that moment, the spirit of God comes to live inside of you. Your sin is taken away forever. And it's symbolized by water baptism. If you've not been baptized in water, you should because it's obedience to what God says. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, you need to see yourself the way God sees you. You need to see God the way God reveals himself to you, holy and all those things. But you also need to see yourself. You're completely forgiven in Christ. Why are you still holding on to your shame or sin? You've received coals off the altar. They've touched you. And just like that, your sin is taken away. And then, then, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord. See, he sees God. He sees himself. Then he hears God. I'm going to put these two together. Then he hears God speak. And he responds, verse eight. He hears God speak. It's interesting. He doesn't hear God. You don't can't really hear God until first you go to the cross. Amen. And you're born again. And the Spirit comes inside of you. And now he hears God speak. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Well, which is it? Is it I, singular, or us, plural? And the answer is yes. God is one God. And he is holy, holy, holy. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. And yet he's one God. And he says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah goes, ooh, ooh. Choose me. I'm ready. I want to serve. Wouldn't that be nice, Pastor Doug, as we were looking for volunteers to serve In the preschool department, oh, here I am, send me. So we're looking, Matt, for volunteers to serve in the production booth. Oh, oh, choose me, I want to serve. See, God has a calling for all of us. And yes, there was a specific calling upon Isaiah's life to be a prophet. He would go preach to people who wouldn't listen, they would harden his heart. But this isn't just about a one-time calling. You know, I think we say, well, I want to figure out what God wants me to do with my life. Like, God is going to come to you and say, okay, here's the 20-year plan I have for you. Some of you are laughing. Why are you laughing? Because you know what I know. It doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't say, follow the plan. He says, follow, follow me. That's right. He doesn't give us the plan. He gives us himself. And what we need to do is say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Now here's the thing I want to bring this to an application this morning. Is that this right here is what your quiet time should look like every day. You see... This isn't just a a once-in-a-lifetime big encounter that Isaiah had. Sure, he had that. But this is you going into your closet every day saying, okay, God, show me you. I want to know you. And that day, God shows you something about himself and shows you something about yourself. Amen? And then God speaks and you hear him speak and then you respond and say yes lord yes lord and i'm i'm saying this this morning because one of the mistakes i made when i had my big encounter with god is it was so wonderful an experience that I just thought, wow, this is what's really important. Everybody needs to have this experience. You need to have this experience. You need to have this experience, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or I wanted to repeat that experience. Don't think it'll happen again. God in his grace allowed me to have it. You say, why? Trust me, I had nothing to do with it. Wasn't me. It was God. Do you understand? I didn't deserve it. I didn't do A, B, and C to make D happen. Are you with me? But one of the things he showed me through this is that that one day, even though it was wonderful and I was given a glimpse and a taste of heaven for 15 minutes, that's not what's important. Every day, bringing my life before God and saying, God, show me you. Let me see you. I want to have a relationship with you. Show me me. Allowing God to speak to me and then saying, yes, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I want to obey. See, God wants to give you and I assignments. He's assignment-making God. He's got a little assignment for you, and if you're faithful in the little things, and he gives you this little assignment, he says, okay, I'll do that, yes. Okay, I want you to do this, yes. Okay, I want you to step this way, yes. Notice what he's doing? He's taking you somewhere. Well, I want to know where I'm going before I get there. It doesn't work that way. Just be faithful today. Just obey him today. Just say, yes, Lord, here I am. And God speaks to you about something in your life he wants you to lay aside or someone in your life he wants you to forgive or somebody he wants you to give to or somebody he wants you to serve or some habit that is destructive in your life or some positive habit they want you to have. And the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you have a choice. You can say, Yeah, I might do that next week. Or you can say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'll do it. Send me. That's how we encounter God every day. And we follow him and we experience him. Daily encounters with God. God.